0: Hi there. This is the A Lot To Say podcast, a conversation-based project focused on unconventional career paths and the projects that consume us. I'm your host, Gary Williams, or Gaz, as many call me, and A Lot To Say is part of the Alt Project's family of content, uh, obsessing about the overlap between creativity, technology, and culture. I'm fortunate to spend my days working alongside technologists, artists, researchers, and people who just generally give a damn about the world we live in. And I'm very lucky to be able to hear of some incredible career journeys over that time from some really inspiring people. So I am particularly energized by the projects that I hear people are experimenting and tinkering on along the way. And I thought, you know what? It's time to put these stories out there with the A Lot to Say podcast project. I can't wait for you to hopefully discover some new and lesser known stories about the things people get wrapped up in and what led them to this point. This is A Lot to Say. Well, welcome to episode 11 of A Lot To Say with my friend, Joan Westenberg. Um, Joan's an award-winning Australian PR director, contemporary writer, and creative. She's the founder of PR and communications firm, Studio Self. And her writing prowess has basically led to her being one of the very best voices on the overlap between startups, tech, um, culture, and more, I'd say. Uh, Her writings appeared in a mountain of publications, including... Wired, The Australian Financial Review, uh, The Saturday Paper, SBS and more. And her regular work can be found on Pizza Party, which is a blog about creativity, culture and technology. Um, Joan's also the creator of transgenderinclusion.com, which is an open source workplace inclusion hack, and the author of the book, Hashtag DIY, which is a manifesto for indie creativity, something um, I really love. So how do I know, Joan? Look, we, we've gotten to know each other quite some time ago. Uh, again, I'm going to mention that I was running some events, as, um, which is probably the same context as a few of the other guests. Uh, but she appeared on it, and in my working capacity, you know, events are a great way um, to make an excuse to meet people in person, I'd say. We became firm friends um, over the last few years, and whilst our, uh, our chats and interactions are semi-regular... Uh, probably due to the distance between you know our bases in Sydney and Melbourne it's never too long uh, between catch-ups except in goddamn 2020 of course i've long admired um you know the tone of Joan's voice and direct nature um it's one which aligns you know pretty closely to mine uh, there'd be elements of pursuing a career and projects of meaning um, as well as other sentiments of a love of technology that corresponds with some let's say, uh, somewhat cynical views from time to time of the startup and technology ecosystem we both operate in. Uh, We've both got a background uh, in punk hardcore, shared love of video games and music. Um, Joan's just been a great guiding voice and influence for me over the years, um, especially with the actual creation of Alts Projects itself. So what do we explore in the chat? Look, heaps of what I just mentioned, no need to... um, go over it um, over and over again, but it was definitely really nice to explore the concept of creating something small uh, with warmth without aspiring it to be then, you know, the next big thing. Uh, We go into some, you know, some unfortunate byproducts of having a public voice, which is again why I, you know, I appreciate people appearing on the podcast, sharing some, you know, really raw and honest stories of their lives. It's, It's very much appreciated. So, without further ado, um, this is Joan Westenberg, episode 11 of A Lot to Say. Thanks for joining. All right. Um, here we are, A Lot to Say
1: podcast. Welcome, Joan Westenberg. How's everything going? It's going well, yeah. I've kind of settled down here in Sydney. We've had a beautiful rainy day, but I'm feeling relaxed and good settling into isolation um
0: long term i mean it's been it's been a number of uh weeks now and whilst uh this that isn't the fundamental focus of this podcast or these discussions at all um it's quite surreal times where we're living in but uh like tell us about your experience
1: um in i guess uh, the last couple of months and counting yeah i think it's been a really meditative experience you know I'm- I'm a kind of person who tends to block things out by being overactive. And so if I look at the way I was living my life before lockdown, it was definitely, okay, let's just stay constantly in motion so I don't have to worry about things. So let's get up as early as we can, leave the house, go to a cafe, jump to another cafe, go to an event, and just fill up my day with so many things. Whereas now I've had to, you know, since I've been locked down since March, so since then I've had to really just settle spend more time with myself with my thoughts and find ways to enjoy that without becoming without becoming caught up in it you know i think i've i think i've spent more time just thinking and dissecting things and analyzing it than i've ever spent before has it taken on new
0: meaning i guess that
1: reflection i mean
0: we we get plenty of we we assume that we get plenty of time to reflect on things, but often not um, imposed upon us. So it's really, you know, we're making a choice to have those periods of self-evaluation. So how have you, have you sort of identified that that, that based on the fact that it's been forced on us? You're, you're um,
1: <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> essentially,
0: mean- I, I, like we have a similar propensity to dive into a number of projects and keep busy, and totally. um, and really reflection
1: might be forced upon us. So, how have you felt it with um, with that forcing our hand? Look, I think it's um I think it's the case where I've been looking for different things to distract myself with for so long because it's it's my way of finding peace in the world. You know, so if it's not going out and leaving the house and running and doing a million things or starting a million projects, it's okay. I have to go and shop for a new pair of sneakers. I've got to go and look at the latest tech and all this stuff, just trying to create so much noise around me so that I wouldn't hear the things that I was ignoring. And the things that I was ignoring were really stuff like, why are you doing so many things without focusing on their quality? Or why are you just chasing this stuff without living with your thoughts? You know, and I think by trying to fill that space and fill that void, I just, I I was constantly in the hamster wheel, whereas by being forced to stop and forced to sit down with myself, that has actually made me face up to stuff and, and think about it and try to look at a different way of living, you know, like maybe I don't need to constantly be buying new technology. I mean, duh, like things like that have been kind of good for me. I mean, at the same time, lockdown has been hard. I'm a very social person and I miss people, but it's looking on the bright side of it in some ways um relationships with people but um also relationships with
0: technology i mean you i've mentioned before about um you know some of the things you've been involved in but i mean you've had a a fairly decent long-standing involvement in what people would call the startup scene i guess but um sometimes you've obviously expressed that it's a bit of a fatiguing thing also um how has your experience been and what sort of i guess changes in the ecosystem have you noticed over the particularly the last couple of years
1: it's been really interesting i think um the last few years we've seen australia on a constant boom you know like economic boom and there's been so much investment in tech from you know from superannuation funds from the government from all these different people and it's there has been no shortage of cash flow. And I think with that, it certainly comes like a, a degree of mainstreaming, the idea of being a tech founder or being a startup founder. And so you get a whole bunch of people just diving into it because it seems to be the thing to do. You know, I mean, the, the things that I've been pitched are ridiculous. So many different marketplaces, um, taxi apps that are just designed for Eastern suburbs children. Like these ideas are almost ridiculous. Yes. But I mean, but how has it changed? Well, I think. We're we're going to see some of those changes now. I mean, with a recession, which, I mean, let's not kid ourselves, we're heading into a recession, you will see the wheat separated from the chaff. I mean, the people who can't stick it out, who don't want to stick it out, who are just in it to raise a bunch of money quick, they're not going to be able to survive. They won't have the tenacity, they won't have the network, and you will see them drop off. Whereas I think the people who are dedicated to creating things that they deeply, deeply care about will stick it through. And, you know, those are the people to watch, 100%.
0: Yeah, and you have seen a significant amount of them. I mean, you've been involved in, you know, helping to run co-working spaces through to, you know, numerous events, um, pushing out a lot of content over the years. Mm. In recent times, I mean, a lot of your writing um, has been in some different publications. So you've had, a, I guess, a long history in producing for, um, say, Medium and other sort of... uh, Yeah, tech focused publications, but then um, of recent times, Saturday Paper, SBS, um, even AFR, Smart Company, etc. So, and your content has duly shifted um, over the last couple of years in tone and nature.
1: Yeah, I think it's been a natural evolution of what I was doing. When I first started out, I was more popular in the US than in Australia, and that's just because you know I I built my audience on Medium and the the demographic skews that way. So I was getting invited to write for places like motto which was Time Magazine's online platform and the SF Chronicle and the New York Observer um, all those different kind of places overseas you know I'm drinking from my New York Observer mug that they sent me one year for writing a column but um, (laughs) because I had that kind of focus and I had that kind of content I think it skewed towards an American audience and an American tone it was it was very much that style of writing and talking and it was kind of sensationalist and there were definitely tones of like okay I'm going to try to be Gary Vaynerchuk that kind of thing Um, Although in my case, it was more like being Gary Chuck because I was queer as hell. But um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, but the whole, the the tone was like, it was very American. That's the only way to say it. Whereas these days, you know, I I reshifted. It was definitely a conscious decision around 2017 that I wanted to focus on the Australian ecosystem, Australian technology, Australian companies, and help to build out great things here at home. And so that tone shifted, my focus shifted, and I started writing more about that. But I mean, along the way, I've also, like, I've grown a lot in the past few years. When I started out a Medium, it was 2015, and I was in my late mm. 20s. And since then, I guess I've, I've seen so much more of the world. I've, I've grown a bit as a person, and I've wanted to write about different things. I mean, along the way, I, I came out as transgender, and I transitioned, so I naturally wanted to write about that too. And it just meant that my voice was finding different outlets, because different people wanted to hear different ideas.
0: Yes, um, I, I mean, we've known each other for quite some time. I mean, I've always appreciated, um, I'm, I'm not going to go and say a no filter approach, but I, I definitely um, gravitated towards, I guess, a more personal expression um, out there publicly over social media channels and more. And, and then we got to know each other a bit more, and you know, you're, you're basically exactly the same it's like it's the same sort of expression it's just basically in person as opposed to online i always find that interesting um, because
1: i always do wonder what people think when they meet me in person after knowing me um digitally you know is it is it what you see is what you get or you know
0: you know what and i've been having this thought as well because i mentioned to a couple of people um i I do enjoy (laughs) sound like a sadist I do enjoy paying people compliments, (laughs) Um, but what I I meant by that is I I do, I have, you know, you reflect upon your life. I have enjoyed at certain times um, letting, you know, some people have been really formative in sort of my journey or whatever you want to call it um, about how they've sort of impacted uh, my life in a way based on little nuances or little interactions. And they always seem so surprised, but I I think it's, you're not really that aware or cognizant of it, um, but it is nice for people to relay that to you so that, you Do understand a little bit, yeah, as opposed to um pushing out content which people sort of make comment, comments on, yeah, true, which you have uh, your own history with. I certainly
1: <laughs> do. Um, <as> I know. <laughs> uh,
0: let, let's I'm gonna lean on that just um slightly. So, with pushing out a lot of content, both in sort of blog and publication form or uh, within social media, um. You know, injections. You obviously open yourself up for a lot of criticism. How have you, have you developed the capacity to manage that over the years?
1: I guess I think sometimes that no matter what you do, somebody is going to hate you, and somebody's going to hate what you say. I mean, there are people out there who hate vanilla ice cream. There are people who hate chocolate ice cream. There are people who hate Coldplay. There are people who hate the Beatles. Like, there are people who will hate absolutely anything in the world. And if you just sit around saying to yourself, I don't want to say X, Y, Z because I don't want someone to hate you, then you might as well never say anything at all. Because even if you are the least objectionable person on the planet, somebody will object to that. And I think in I think in saying that, I am pretty open to accepting criticism and, and listening to it and listening to critical feedback because that is how you grow. I mean... I've been called out for things in the past where I have taken a step back, looked at it and thought, you know what, 100%, I should not have said that, written that, done that. I mean, my ex-fiancee called out an Instagram post of mine and said that she wasn't comfortable with the framing of it. And I was like, you know what, you're right, that was an inappropriate post. And it was just something about, um, about the rights of sex workers. And she felt that it was dehumanizing in some way. And so I, I looked back at it and I thought, you know what, 100%, let's change that. So I can take that criticism. The stuff that I I don't enjoy is, you know, like death threats. Like I've I've had my share of death threats over the years. I've had somebody email me detailed descriptions of what he was going to do to my dead body after he was finished with it and things like that. That kind of thing. That's a lot harder to handle. Because it's not reasonable. (laughs) It's, It's just violent.
0: Yeah, and I wasn't trying to, I guess, provoke the the, the particulars of these comments, but this, these are comments directed at you personally, whether um, innocuously by people that can just, you know, then simply go about their day. But these are, you know, vile, hatred-filled things yeah. um, that you would feel on the regular. And I just wonder how you've managed to accept that in some way um, to be able to live with it, because we're talking about things that, I myself and many, many others, most others, would just not have the um, you know.
1: I think in some ways you get disluck of fielding. I think I think in some ways you get a bit numb to it and you start to normalise it to yourself. And every now and then I will get a message like that and I'll I'll just read it and I'll I'll stop and think, you know what? Wait, this is not normal. This is not a normal message to get. And in moments like that it hits me like a ton of bricks. I have to put my phone down and just breathe for a bit, but beyond that, I think yeah, you become quite numb to it. I mean, I got I got doxxed last year during the week of um, one of my friend's funerals because she was a sex worker and she had been murdered, and a um, a tweet that I had written about her had gone viral, and I got doxxed by some Reddit thread where people were calling me and text messaging me and calling me a um, a tranny faggot who got sex workers killed and all this kind of stuff and it was awful it was quite terrible and that was a really low point and i spent that week crying like for multiple reasons but but also for just the the harassment that i was getting i think i think the only way you get through it is by developing a shield and becoming numb to a degree but i don't think you ever want to be fully numb to it because you might lose a bit of humanity along the way yes certainly certainly and look we we're Certainly, addressing some um,
0: quite heavy concepts, but um, but I want to also focus on some incredibly positive things that you've you've been pushing out there, and then in turn, I guess um, finding people that really gravitate towards those projects and initiatives you, that you're developing. From the you know the deep recesses of your brain, <laughs> just putting them together in the, in the dark of night. But um, it's, when we talk about, I guess, handling situations, vitriol, um, these types of scenarios based on whether it's um, you know sort of doxing examples or whether it's producing content that people feel um, that they are able to make comment on. The you, by the same token, have been developing some stuff over the last couple of years. So Tiny Spells is one. Um, do you want to tell us about that um, project, how that eventuated and how that's had a positive benefit for people who utilize it as well as yourself?
1: Sure. I mean, Tiny Spells is a self-care community and it's also a blog, it's a newsletter, it's a Substack, And the idea is that it just gives people small, tiny, manageable things that they can do and think about and journal about that will help them to look after themselves. You know, I started this last year, oh, maybe July. And in July of last year I was 1 month sober because I had been an alcoholic and I was starting to get my life together. And as a part of sobering up, I was spending so much more time thinking about the way that I cared for myself and my mental health, my emotional health, my physical health. And I was trying to do so many more things just to to stop myself from wanting to drink. I was just I was focusing on ways that I could comfort myself, soothe myself, distract myself, but in, in a healthy, healthy environment. And sometimes those things were just drinking a bit more water, making peanut butter toast, texting people and telling them I appreciated them. And so I would start each day by just opening the notes app on my phone and writing down a few little ideas of ways that I could do that. And sometimes adding a little emoji for each one. And eventually, you know, I was telling friends about, that practice and they said you should share those with me because it might help me too and so I said you know what okay I will and I created this little email and I thought maybe I'd have you know 20 subscribers who are my friends and then it kind of blew up it to the point there's now around 4,000 subscribers who love this daily email um well it's actually it's, it's shifted from being daily to being twice weekly now just because of my schedule but people love this content it gives them a lifeline and a bit of inspiration and reminds them that they are worth looking after for themselves alone and I've I've had emails over the past six months, beautiful ones from people who have survived cancer or who are going through a breakup or who are feeling desperately alone because of coronavirus, who have reached out and said that tiny spells has been a source of comfort for them. And every time I get one of those emails, I tear up a bit because it's just so nice to know that I'm making any kind of difference. And at the same time, it, is, it has encouraged me to continually make self-care a priority in my life. And not just, okay, let's drink more water today, but also let's think about the projects we take on. Like, do I need to go and advise that startup or is it better to spend those hours in my week with somebody I love? You know, like thinking about those decisions more. It's been fantastic.
0: Mm, and that, that also was manifested into, I guess, determining uh, how many hours committed during the week as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot about how much time I spend on different things and how much time I sacrifice on stuff that doesn't really matter. Now, some of the most meaningful moments that I've had over the past year have been just hanging out with one of my friends and her kid and cooking dinner together or watching a movie together or going to the park. And when I'm in those moments, for the first time, I'm not constantly checking my phone because I'm much more focused on the present and enjoying the present instead of thinking about some dumb notion of hustling. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um,
0: we've seen it all too often uh, with oh, yeah, continuously. It's not not some bygone notion um, of just continually creating, but um, but for you know for other intentions, but perhaps nefarious, uh, just basically to create for you know this consistent sort of marketing push. I, I want to ask you just a little bit about creating projects um, such as Tiny Spells with, I guess the outcomes or um, positive consequences are a little bit undefined. So you would have um, created quite a few projects over the years, but not always knowing definitively where it's going to lead. And Tiny Spells has led in a, a really positive and wonderful direction. Um, like, What sort of advice would you pass to people who are looking to start on something but obviously might get paralysed by how to start, when to
1: start, what it's meant to be? I always think to myself that if I come up with an idea that I like, I don't care if other people like it or not. I don't care if other people want this thing or not. All I'm going to do is find a way to express that idea into the world and see if it sticks, you know, see if anyone picks it up, see if anyone cares because I might as well, you know, like I might as well know, I might as well try because not doing it proves nothing. So if I come up with an idea, it doesn't even mean I'm going to do it forever. It just means I'm going to try it out. And my thinking is always... If you, if you are inspired, if you care about something, come up with the simplest version of it, give it to a few people around you, and ask what they think. You never know what might resonate. There are projects that I've had like um, Alt Arcade, which was a, a collection of curated non-violent video games for people to play if they live with PTSD. And that's something that I did for a little bit last year. It was I didn't have the time and the resources to focus enough on it, but it's something that I'm going to relaunch soon as a substack like projects can evolve projects can go on pause just because you've come out there and you said, Hey, I'm doing this thing. Doesn't mean it has to be a rod for your back. Sometimes you can just make things you love when you want to make them, how you want to make them. And that's okay. Yeah. It's a um,
0: lot that old arcade project. I mean, on a lot to say podcast, I mean, we've had Lizzie Kane who's, um, you know, with the league of geeks, uh, based in Melbourne, uh, Tim Sheehil as well um, is producing video game music for um, games such as Duet and The Gardens Between. Yeah, and um, and I myself have been, I mean, a game fan, I'm not so much a fanatic. And look, time is sometimes um, part of the reason why I, ha- I can't commit more time to it. But some of the games that you've Mentioned within Alt Arcade are some of my all-time favourites. So we're talking Firewatch, um, Journey, Alto's Odyssey. Um, that was one that was made freely available during um, COVID nineteen. So I got into that and found a really lovely sense of flow with that that mm. really calmed me down. So it's it's really interesting to see. I know I know these games, but when you put it together in this. Um, I guess concentrated
1: content format. Then there's a narrative formed around that, and I like how you package things up like that. Yeah, I think it's just um, finding a thread of something that you really care about helps you to to frame it in a way that other people will care too. This is why I tell people that they should never build or make anything that they don't personally give a damn about, like, because if, if mm. people can tell if you don't care. You know, I, I did a couple of episodes of a a podcast that I was thinking about trying out this year, and I invited you to be on it. We had a great conversation, but I could tell when I was going through it and editing it that I didn't quite care about what I was saying and and doing in the podcast because it's not my natural format. My format is the written word. Yep. That makes sense. I mean, my, my original intentions with,
0: with launching it, I mean, the the base level focus is unconventional career paths and the projects that consume people. Um, but it's become very apparent as I've started to um, talk to people that, um, a little bit more, you know, the time at which this is being released is um, corresponding with a lot of people thinking about changing careers, maybe being forced to change careers or jobs, and so it, it's, I guess, uptailing into a time also this intense period of reflection where people might be thinking about whether they really want to be doing what they're doing at the moment, and so. That's a little meta element, but yeah. but all it is is like, it's not that I never thought about it. I just didn't realize it would be a more important factor um, than what was just an original inclination. For
1: sure, yeah, 100%. Um,
0: how do you feel about, I guess, when, when you talk about, I guess, creating the things and just leaping into it, thinking about whether you would love that yourself um, before even beginning? How do you feel about the, I guess, this obsession about creating startups as
1: opposed to, Simply launching into projects. I don't think it's necessarily anything cosmic or nefarious. I think it's just that we have we've grown up believing that things only have value if they're big, formal, they make money, they're huge, they're ambitious, they're risky. you know these are the lies that we tell ourselves. And so we never grow up thinking that it's okay to just make things that you love for you and a few other people. So I think we're just we're raised to discount doing smaller projects like that and when we come up with an idea the first thought has to be oh my god how can this be a huge thing how can this be a huge company and it doesn't have to be yeah I think that I think it's scale and the concept of scale and the idolatry of scale is one of the issues in our society today it's not enough that something can be beautiful it has to be beautiful for the masses it's not enough that something is beautiful it has to be beautiful in a way that can be monetized and scaled out and commercialized and so on and i just i just think that's a bad thing because we lose touch with each other and we lose touch with the human element and i think about um the designer steven sagmeister who has been kind of an inspiration to me in some of the work that i do and his goal was always to stay small and something he talked about a lot with his firm sagmeister which later became sagmeister and walsh the goal was always to stay small, and he said that as long as you do that, you can pick and choose the work that you do. But as long as you grow, and grow and grow and grow, eventually you'll have to sacrifice what makes you you in order to survive. And I think about that a lot. I think about how, how if you stay small and you focus on small things, you can let your craft grow, and you can let your care for your work grow, and it can thrive and it can be it can be absolutely breathtaking. Whereas if you have to make it. Huge, and you have to make it exponentially big, and you have to find new ways to, to bring in the cash. It's just, it's always going to suffer. Certainly. Yeah, certainly. I mean, th- talking about care or, or that
0: focus, so you have studio self. Um, so to create, I mean, the spiel is a creative studio focused on tech powering brands. Um, and you're bringing together, I guess, this. massive inherent experience that you carry which is throughout pr and advertising obviously the written content and um and digital media campaigns tell us a bit about how studio self sort of manifested i guess the needs that made it manifest and also um where you envision that progressing to even with the COVID 19 lens where you've given it probably
1: more period of reflection Mm -hmm. So when I started it the idea was always to build something small and beautiful that did small and beautiful work. So I have a background in tech companies and that background is one of hustle and grind and exhaustion. I was working for huge companies that were valued at insane amounts and as a part of that I was working seven in the morning until seven at night and I was just so tired. And you can see in the various parts of my lifestyle where that was taking its toll and there's a reason I was drinking so much it was because I was not facing problems because I was overworking because I was exhausted because I was having a nervous break to all these different things and it just I wanted to make something that was the antithesis of that and so to me the idea of building a small studio that only did the work that I cared about was a really attractive one and I had a model for it you know the it was based on the ideas and the work that Steven Sagmeister did in design and communications with his studio, um, where he only took on a few clients and did great work with them, and that was enough for him. And the work that Kudel Partners did. Koodle Partners are a creative studio based out of the US, who, as well as doing some client work, they create internal products. Um, they're the brand who have built field notes. You know, that's a, a Koodle Partners project, and they do things like that. And so I've always Mm -hmm. loved the idea of that model. And I thought this is the time to embrace that. So doing that, I I did have an idea of where it was going to go. It was going to launch doing the work that I love doing, which was public relations, comms, branding, messaging, and content for tech-enabled companies. And then from there, it would get to the point where I could start launching and bringing in these different ideas and projects that I love doing under the studio self kind of umbrella. So, I mean, tiny spells... Is actually a Studio Self project, and then from there I would start incubating other tech ideas and building them, and eventually I would use Studio Self to spin up a small angel fund, and then create a really little micro VC fund that would create a way, a pathway for outsiders in tech to be able to enter the ecosystem. So there's always been a, a very clear pathway and plan for me. Mm. Oh, oh, go into that um,
0: outsiders. Uh, focus and intention in just one second. Um, I want to just maybe to step back and to paint a wider picture for um, any of your listeners today. So, what would what would be the benefit for yourself in say if we're running this and we're we're acquiring clients, work etc. Then also coupling that with written content on the side, um, other things. P- people like myself would also run events. Um, they're not necessarily revenue generators or anything like that, but it is around, um, I guess, generating interest or, or exposure or, um, an audience, so to speak. So for yourself in terms of having, having something, which I guess sits at the center of what you do, and then all these additional projects that stem out of that, such as tiny spells, how does it all work? And, and, um, how does it make sense for people to understand
1: I think one of the reasons I I formalized it under Studio Self was just to help people understand what I do. So now instead of saying, oh, I do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, I can say, well, I founded a creative studio that does brand work and we do it well. And as a part of that, we build our own products too. And it it makes it so much easier to pitch that out. I mean, it gives me a, a foundation, something that people can look at to understand where I'm coming from. And it does also, it it frames my brand for what I want to do next when I do want to start building out the next iteration of Studio Self.
0: Is that also, is that easier for you to understand now as well? Has has everything become much clearer since
1: pulling things, I guess, under this banner or obviously A little bit, you know. I mean, I think fragmentation always gives me anxiety. And so by bringing things together and making it cohesive, I lessen that anxiety i give myself more of a chance to breathe on the topic of outsiders so we we can cover this in many different ways
0: but i do also um want to reference because we've just talked about written content so you create you've created pizza party which is a blog about uh creativity culture and technology um anyone who follows along with you and and i know you know that you have a decent background in um you know punk rock music as well, and so you, yeah. I mean, you bring you bring a large element of you know pop culture, um, you know creative industries to your work and to yourself um, as well in terms of what you put put out there to the public. So tell us about, I guess, um, that influence. How that influences your work. You may work within what's perceived to be the technology realm, but you bring these additional elements um, to the table. How does how does that sort of influence your output?
1: I think it gives me this idea of getting in the van. You know, that's the, um, the seminal book by Henry Rollins about his time in the punk rock band, Black Flag. The idea was you don't wait for things to happen. You get in the van and you make it happen yourself. And I've always been inspired by that kind of ethos. There is no point in waiting for somebody to give you permission because you can be waiting forever, man. Like you can be waiting your entire life. And if you don't fit a mold, if you don't fit what people want, if you aren't easily manipulated by a system, you are not going to be given permission to go ahead and make what you want to make. And so I feel like if you just, if you stop waiting for it and asking for it and you get out there and you take it, that's what it's all about. I look at um, bands like Fugazi, you know, Fugazi are my favorite punk band of all time. They're my favorite band of all time. And they never mm-hmm. wanted anyone else's permission. They made their own records, they distributed their own records, they booked their own tours, they didn't wait for major labels. And when the major labels came calling and said, We like what you do, we want to give you millions of dollars. They said, no, we do it our way. We don't need you. And I've always been really inspired by that. And so I think in general, like, because I come from that background, it gives me the courage to say, you know what? Fuck you. I don't want to follow these rules. I mean, if somebody said to me, you are a, a trans woman in tech. And a few years ago, you were so broke that you were almost homeless. How the hell are you going to go out and like raise an angel fund or invest in startups and write checks and like do comms launches for multi-million dollar fundraising and all any of the stuff that I am doing now people would have laughed at me and if I came from the background where I thought you know what I need somebody else's permission I would have laughed at that idea but because I have this punk rock attitude it's you know what no fuck you I'm gonna do it whether you laugh at it or not
0: um one concept that people may oh sorry I should say Thank you for expressing that. I, I totally, um, totally agree. And it's, you know, again, it's um, part of our friendship development and ethos that I've always gravitated towards as well, which is um, why I've so enjoyed, you know, hanging out. Um, and in terms of, I guess, a bit of that fuck you attitude, um, some people find it difficult to understand, I guess, um, the concept of open source. So creating something and then and then just simply pushing it out there and releasing it. Um Li- recently um, you released transgenderinclusion.com, which was an open source workplace inclusion hack. Um, tell us a bit about that process. What, what was the need for establishing that, but then um, why just set it free into the world? Um, yeah. Most people would, would assume that you would take something like that and sell it in as a, as a product, so to speak. Yeah. So um, talk us through that process.
1: I mean, I, I came out of the closet while I was working at a tech company called Flare. And they wanted to support me immediately. You know, there was, there was never any hesitation from the team at Flair that they would immediately back me as a trans person. But at the same time, none of them had ever had a conversation with a trans person before. So they said to me, we don't know how to help. How can we help? And so I started writing down what I wanted. And before I knew it, I was writing a transgender inclusion policy for Flair. And it made sense to me that if I was doing that, well, other people kind of need that too. So I decided to make this something that other, other folks could adopt and use and respond to and modify according to their needs so that other people wouldn't be in the situation that I was where they didn't have a policy to lean on. And that's where that's where transgenderinclusion.com was born. And the idea of it being open source was, it was a twofold thing. On the one hand, just because I am trans and non binary does not mean I'm an expert on being trans and non binary. So it's open source that other people can suggest changes to it and help me make it better and correct me when I'm wrong. But it's also open source because I don't need to make money from something that exists purely to help people exist. Yeah, you know, like that should be free because nobody, nobody asks to be born any one way. Like we didn't we get the choice. The way we're born is beautiful though. You know, it's it's a beautiful thing to be trans and non-binary, but like we should not have to go out of our way to pay extra money to just be included in the same way that everyone else is. So there is no way that I I should charge for a policy that enables that to happen.
0: Yes, certainly. I I would imagine Miss Wood it's opening up conversations, obviously opening up conversations for people to um, take this on and inject into their, you know, their company culture, but by the same token, um, open up, opens up a pathway for you to um, talk to people with similar experiences. How have you found that in, let me step back a bit. Um, There's, there's a constant reiteration throughout call it startup tech, whatever about the communities at large, we could debate, um, whether they actually are mm. a lot of the time. Mm. Um, if uh, you catch my drift, but it's, but essentially when when we're talking about you're your producing this piece, that obviously gives people um, someone to gravitate towards. How have those conversations been for you as you've started to develop a group of, um, I guess, people around you or, or be further educated on who to direct your attention towards?
1: Look, um, I'll, say, I'll say this. With any diversity and inclusion initiative you will always find people who view it as a scam and a way for them to get, uh, to get likes and get popularity by looking like they support it. You know, if, if just, if every single person who has reached out to me and said, we support you, Joan, in the Australian tech ecosystem had given me a referral for just one job in tech, I would not have been unemployed for as long as I was. But they didn't. Mm-hmm. Like, people loved to be seen to be supporting me and those people ain't showed up when it actually mattered. Those people were really damn quiet when it actually mattered. And you see this all the time, you know? I mean, trans women get murdered in Australia, and these folks are out here tweeting about American politics because that's what they get the attention for. And you come out and you transition, and there are some folks who will, will want to cheer for you, but only if other people are watching. But at the same time, the... um. The tech ecosystem here in Australia is full of some absolutely beautiful souls who have gone out of their way to be supportive and to um, to just show me love and show me acceptance. And in in looking at that, I have been surprised to discover who my community actually was and who it wasn't. But it's actually been a really lovely and wonderful experience, and I I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world. I think that we have a lot of work to do, all of us, in terms of inclusion and helping people out and so on. But you know, it's work that a lot of folks have the passion for. I mean, there's a, there's a dude called Mike Nichols who's one of the partners at Main Sequence Ventures, um, and he and I don't know each other super well. We don't. But when I was at one of my lowest points, I tweeted something and he read into it where my head was at, he reached out on Twitter and just encouraged me to get help, gave me some links, and took the time to to be there late at night when I was obviously going through something. And that's a guy I I barely know, but I've never forgotten that, and I never will. It's it's it can surprise you sometimes to discover who the good people truly are.
0: Thank you for relaying that. That's um that's incredible. I, I think that you know we we have expectations. I guess that um our output might be reciprocated in times, and by that I mean that you've had a long, um, I guess I guess involvement in giving advice to a lot of people over time, a lot of which is for their benefit. Um, I, I, I want to go into calling it like full altruism. It's it's sort of all wrapped up in the way of operating, I guess. But, you know, people would come to you for advice a lot over the years and you would have duly given it out over time. So um, less so about, I guess, the disappointment of not feeling some things back in return, But but it must be incredibly touching and warm to see people um step up and show you like some some care and and again i'll reference because this is happening in the midst of you also being targeted with some terrible um things being sent in your direction via comments um messages and so on
1: yeah i mean i think it's about looking for the warmth and being open to the warmth i mean i have a beautiful community of people around me my my close circle of friends and people have looked out for me and looked after me in ways I would never have imagined or known to ask for, so I feel really quite fortunate to be in that position. Um, I reconnected around August with uh, with somebody I I had met a few times with with with, with a a mutual friend. Didn't know each other very well, but we reconnected back in August. And over the past eight months, they've just created space for me in their home to just have a place to be in to go to while I was you know getting sober and. Getting my life back on track and things like that have just meant the world yeah
0: so so we're, we're talking about sydney at the moment but um you're you're not an original Sydney sider. so um what was a bit of your sort of journey by um you know where, where you sort of grew up and, and then i guess progressing um across the country
1: yeah i mean I, i've grown up all over the place so i was an air force brat um and i've lived all over australia but I was born in South Australia and I eventually wound up back there and I only started to get out of the state and get out around the place once I started touring and playing in bands and doing that kind of thing. So yeah, I've definitely lived everywhere and I have a lot of experience with that. I think it's been, it's been interesting because I've learned how to talk to literally anyone. You know, I can sit down and have a conversation with absolutely anyone It's it's a gift to have that. Yeah. Um, and what drew you to Sydney? eventually um this just felt like a place where things were happening so for me it was i want to live in either melbourne or sydney but because i grew up in adelaide where the beaches are so bad i was really encouraged to just settle somewhere which had (laughs) beaches that i loved and that was sydney but that being said you know i'm not one of these people who would describe themselves as oh i'm a sydney person like as far as i'm concerned sydney and melbourne are two incredible, beautiful cities, and they're, you know, two of the, the best cities in the world. And for me, they're both equally yeah. wonderful. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean, we, we haven't experienced them as much as what we would have liked um, of recent times, of course, but, you know, that that will happen oh, soon God, enough. But, yeah. um, but with, um, with the less about the, I guess, ending up in a city and uh you know lots of action happening etc more on the sort of the culture aspect so um you know long-standing interest in i guess you know punk rock scene etc how did you how did you find yourself in i guess an environment that you connected with when you got into say sydney if you were setting roots uh, setting down
1: roots here i just uh, yeah the scene was here the punk scene was here there were good people here there were great bands great music I just I settled in right away and I found I found my people it was it's never been it's never been the case that I felt like an outsider in Sydney I've always felt pretty good
0: yeah and um I mean you mentioned about uh holding off on drinking for a while so that's been well that's coming up to a significant amount of time um soon so how has that been um I guess injecting into your life and um yeah how is that changing your perspective you, you've you've had some significant things you, you've got you're having that experience we're, we're isolated at the moment we're in very strange times yeah. but um how have you how do you think you would have handled i guess you know sort of this isolation time if you were if we were sort of stepping back around the years a year or so
1: oh, i would have been absolutely destroyed by it you know getting sober has been the hardest but the most rewarding thing i've ever done But I don't think it was the case that I had a choice. You know, I got sober because it was that or things were going to get real bad. And, Mm. you know, I say that because I'm an alcoholic. Like I just, I am and I own that. And that's just that's just what I I live with. It's what I'm working with. That's okay. But I had to get my shit together. And I did. If I think about how much work I've had to put in to reach this point, it is so much work that I could not have done if I was still, you know, on that train. And when I think about how much, I've been through over the past few months with this lockdown or the anxiety that everyone's sharing, I don't think I would have handled it well at all. You know, I think I would have crumbled under the stress.
0: Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, it's, um, who knows how we sort of react. I'm, I'm not, um, I, I wouldn't say that I feel that it's just been gone swimmingly, but, mm-hmm. but by the same token, um, you know, ebbs and flows, I'm handling it fine at one point and then it's great at totally, point. Yeah. Um, I don't really need just myself to tell me that I get I can get told. Yeah, <laughs> I can get someone else to tell me that just fine. Um, yeah, look, I think at this but... point
1: it's healthy for everyone to cry at least once a week. You know.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly very cognizant of the fact that this. I don't think I'm ever going to think as much. Yeah. <laughs> as uh, as 2020 to be um, some sort of a formative, tempo in in. Yeah. Um, many of our lives totally. think, for so so many reasons. Um, let's continue back down the project's path as we veer sort of towards the end of our discussion. So DIY you've created, um, it's a downloadable manifesto for indie creativity. Tell Mm. us about the gestation of this project and and where you see this, um, eventually leading to.
1: Yeah, this is just a collection of some of my, some of the ideas that I'm proudest of over the past few years about getting out there and building your own thing without permission, you know, just what I was talking about before. So it's a collection of some of those thoughts and notions. And where do I see it going? I honestly could not tell you. My idea is just that it's it's going to be a living document that just sits here forever, that I update con- uh, constantly and, and and keep changing and, and fixing and, and growing with, but it will always represent my philosophy, which is you got to do it for you and you alone. So I, you know, as far as where it goes next, I just want it to keep on representing those ideas the best that it can, no matter what. When, when you say you
0: don't know where it's going, um, and I'm not trying to be facetious, do do you care? No. Like,
1: as in, you definitely care about the project, but do you really care where, where it um, leads to? I it? honestly don't give a shit. No, <laughs> I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that I sit yeah. out there to, to make a zine about doing things your own way. And I made it. And a few people have read it and they liked it. And I don't really care what happens next. That's where yep. I'm at.
0: Perfect. No, perfect. So look, let's go back to Studio Self um as we get towards wrapping it up. So what type of um work do you see on the horizon mm. with um Studio Self? Um when you talk about, I guess, the the angel investment and um with a lens to the future. Mm what are the sort of the next stages of that evolution and and what do you sort of need to happen for those for some of those um ideas based
1: things to become reality so i guess the next oh, right now i'm working with a whole bunch of really cool tech founders and i have almost a full portfolio so i think i have space to work with one more client but after that i'm pretty much tapped out and the idea is that you know keep on doing great work for these folks sure but at the same time the next stage of it is Kind of a um a venture services arm, so to start, to start working with tech founders in exchange for some small equity in their company to help outsider brands start to approach the marketplace and, and get their foot in it. Um, but at the same time, I have already started this path down to down to raising that one hundred k angel fund. You know, I I have started that that raise already. Um, there's a little bit of money on the table, not much yet, but you know, I'll get there. It's for me, it's, I have this idea that it will either happen or it won't happen. Things will work out or they won't. I will put the work in and I'll see where it goes. But I, again, as long as I'm proud of the stuff that I'm doing, and I enjoy it. I don't really care too much. I know that the, um, the, the clients that I work with, the tech companies that I work with, they match the kind of people that I want to invest in. You know, these are not startup cool kids. They are outsiders. They are people who have amazing backstories who have put that experience into building pro- products they love. You know, one of the founders that I work with um, Olympia from GoTerra, she has built a, a company that uses modularized robots to direct maggots and insects to break down food waste and create alternative protein. And it's an incredible product, but her background is not, Oh, look, you know, I went to some tech accelerator and I, I, I have like so-and-so in my network. Like she, came into this as an outsider, and she built something amazing. That's the kind of person that I want to keep working with. So my goal is to definitely start investing in people like that. You know, I've written two angel checks in my life and both were to founders who I believe didn't like that, but the investments didn't work out, but the relationships did. And that's what matters to me. Yeah, certainly.
0: Um, and uh this um continued like so the narrative that we've um that you've expressed multiple times so this attraction towards outsiders so how do you think um apart from the investment um in the future do you have a sense of where future projects might lead you in that regard um i think the more that you surround yourself or, or become involved in um, interesting projects involving outsiders will naturally attract outsiders in due in due course. Yeah, so, so, do you have an inclination of what might, um, furthermore, be on the radar, or or what might sort of eventuate um, in the future in terms of perhaps some more creatively minded projects as opposed to business or, um, or or you know focused on the dollars type projects.
1: Look, so um something that has come together over the past week or so, is a really small writing fund that I'm, I'm funding myself. This is just my own cash, but it's a, a writing fund to support young Indigenous journalists and writers to give them small cash grants of $1,000 and mentorship and support pitching their work to get better, stronger ranges of voices out there into the media who can cover the stuff that actually matters. So that's one of the projects that is coming up. It's something I'm pretty passionate about. Um, and look, that's something that I really care about doing. Amazing. Look, I, I know you've, um, you know, I've pinned you and
0: asked you to speak uh, today during a, a hefty bout of bronchitis. <laughs> so great. I really I'm hoping the coughing you. hasn't overwhelmed stuff. No, not at all. Not at all. It's just um, obviously if I uh, ask you open-ended questions, then I'm, I'm leaving you open. It's all so, good, yeah. Um, ex- exhausting your saliva supply or something.
1: <laughs> mm, all good, all good. Um,
0: but, Joan, uh, look, I, I want to thank you once again, uh, like, for being like, very, very open. I mean, I've had you um, speak on, you know, some of my Fuck Up Nights events and, uh, you know, we've developed a good friendship over the years. I've sort of... We have. You know... I love our friendship. As, as, as yeah. But, you know, as I expressed to you on the podcast episode, you know, I've gotten a lot out of what you'd sort of um, put out there in terms of your thoughts and feelings. And, and whilst um, you know, your, your perception of things might, might've sort of changed over time um, a voice or a willingness to put it out there um, by the same token is what I've sort of gravitated towards. So um, it's not, you know, it's it's a natural thing, I think, that others would similarly find the way um, as well and gravitate towards you and all these upcoming exciting initiatives and projects that you push out there.
1: I love that. Thank you so much. It means the world to me.
0: Well, my pleasure. I want to end on one last thing, though, um, something you've been pretty, um, pretty forthright about, rightfully so. Let's talk about um, the value placed on creators and what they push out there. Um, You have mentioned it just very briefly in some recent content published around, um, I guess, uh, appearance fees, speaking fees, you name it. Um, But obviously through your podcast episodes and other interviews you've conducted, um, you've touched on the narrative of ensuring that um, creatives get paid what they're owed. (laughs) Did you want to touch on that just briefly? And let's um, let's use this as our sort of final comments part of the of the podcast episode
1: yeah look i um one of my core beliefs is that you should be paid for your labor everyone should be paid for their labor everyone in the world you know um people don't know this but okay so i grew up pretty catholic i'm not catholic now i'm I'm agnostic now but one of the the things that the church calls sins that cry out for vengeance is to deprive a worker of their labor And I think that so many people forget how much this matters. You know, it it matters that people who put in work, people who put in sweat, people who do things that they care about even deserve to be paid for it. You know, we do not work for free. We cannot pay our bills for free. We cannot pay our rent for free. And right now, I think if you look at the world, you look at at Who's Lost Work, so many creatives have lost their income, they've lost their sustenance, and they are struggling. And they're struggling in a world that has come to believe that Our work does not have value. And so I think that's just a terrible idea that we need to push back against and we need to say, no, everyone deserves to be paid for doing shit. It's not enough to to just give people exposure. It's not enough to, to retweet stuff. Pay us. Perfect. (laughs) <laughs>
0: it's a perfect sentiment to end on i think that yes um it, it's succinct and straight to the point and it's um it's the right thing you know it, we recognize especially within australia as we saw um I, I guess the start of the year see a lot of um let's just call it contribution and um you know from the creative industries um in light of bushfire relief activities happening so the creative um, industries were the first to rise to the to the top and um, donate their time, resources, um, livelihoods to creating opportunities to raise more money for bushfire assistance. Yeah, and then COVID nineteen has hit, and they've been the first ones out of work. So um, it's obviously quite rich to then see um, people undervaluing the um, creative industries in turn. Yeah, but um, but but importantly, if someone like yourself is going to put it out there. It does make people sit, think and evaluate about the value that they place on creatives. And that's why I guess your voice is also um, incredibly important.
1: Thank you. That means the absolute world to me. It really does. You know, it just it does. It warms my heart to just to, to hear that. And it, it means a lot. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> I'm not the one doing it. It's, it's you. I'm, I'm just, I'm just waffling away on a
0: microphone. <laughs> Look, Joan, I, um, uh not not to make it too lighthearted. i'm just um just an idiot but look no, I, I, I want
1: to um you're one of my favorite
0: i want to thank people. you thank you i want to thank you so much for appearing today um i really really um appreciate your influence within my life so thank you once again for being on the a lot to say podcast um people can find you online it's joanwestenberg.com
1: that's correct joanwestenberg.com
0: joanwestenberg.com jo- at Joan Westenberg on um, all the respective social media channels as well. What's your preferred one? Twitter?
1: Twitter. Yep, I'm a Twitter tragic. Yep,
0: yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, everyone, um, direct your attention towards Twitter, follow along and um, you'll be hearing much more from Joan in the near future and continuously. Joan, thank you once again. All the very best with um, Tiny Spells, Studio Self, DIY, Alt Arcade, you name it. I can't wait to to um, continue to Keep up to date with it all and I'll see you really soon.
1: Thank you so much. See you very soon, babe. So that was my
0: chat with my friend, Joan Westenberg. It's it's a healthy respect from my end of Joan's influence on my life, which you can probably gauge from the convo. Um, but, yeah, thanks again, Joan. Really appreciate it. You can find Joan on the social medias, at Joan Westenberg on Twitter and Instagram. And I've included more links in the show notes for, you know, um, all of those multiple projects we discussed. So I've been your host, Gary Williams. Music on this podcast is by my band, Bateman. I'm not a chip tune band, uh, actually a harsh punk metal band that doesn't play anymore and, and geez, I miss it. Um, but you can still follow along on Bandcamp, uh, the music's programmed by our drummer, Gareth Leach. Follow A Lot To Say on the Alts Project social media channels at Alts Projects. I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks so much again.